welcome to Because CONCACAF, the sleep-deprived podcast where we normally break down all the action and all the craziness from the Confederation of North and Central American and Caribbean Associations of Football. With Don Palumbo, I'm Andy Lohman, and tonight we continue to expand globally as we recap the round of 16 of the 2023 Women's World Cup. We have our four quarterfinal matchups that will start Thursday night in the Eastern Time Zone. Netherlands versus Spain, Japan versus Sweden, Australia versus France, and England versus Colombia. You'll note that the United States was not on that list because they have crashed out of the tournament after a penalty shootout lost to Sweden in what is by far the worst showing by an American team at a World Cup. Let's talk about how we got to this point. Uh, For starters, when climate change inevitably forces the apocalypse upon us, two things will remain true under whatever new world order will be. Guillermo Ochoa will start a goalie for Mexico, and the USA and Sweden will play each other in the Women's World Cup. These things will happen until the end of time. This was the seventh World Cup meeting between these two teams, and somehow was the first in the knockout round. Mia Hamm scored the winning goal when the U.S. beat Sweden 3-2 in the 91 group stage. Current U.S. Soccer Federation president, Cindy Parlo Cohn, scored the winning goal when the U.S. beat Sweden 3-1 in the 2003 group stage. Abby Wambach scored a brace when the U.S. beat Sweden 2-0 in the 2007 group stage. Sweden beat the U.S. 2-1 in 2011. The teams played to a scoreless draw in 15, and Lindsey Horan scored in a 2-0 win in the group stage in 2019. If you want to expand it to the Olympics, the U.S. beat Sweden in the 96 group stage 2-1 at the Citrus Bowl in Orlando with a winning goal by Shannon McMillan. Sweden beat the U.S. in a shootout in the Rio 2016 quarterfinals the only time the U.S. hasn't medaled at an Olympics. And the U.S. lost 3-0 in the group stage in Tokyo in 2021. Those recent Olympic failures were the unfortunate foreshadowing for Sunday's World Cup round of 16 match. Out of the gate, U.S. head coach Vladko Andonovsky did make an adjustment tactically without the suspended Rose Lavelle, bringing in Emily Sonnet to play a double pivot at the base of the midfield with Andy Sullivan in a 4-2-3-1 formation. In the 27th minute, Trinity Rodman showed her individual quality, picking up a bad Swedish pass, running at the back line, gaining around a defender, and thumping a shot that forced a save out of Chelsea reserves Akira Musovic, who was phenomenal all match. In the 34th minute, Haran had a header from Sullivan's corner kick that glanced off the crossbar, and in the 53rd minute, she laced a first-time shot from Emily Fox's cross on goal that forced a diving save out of Musovic. The scoring changes slowed down significantly in the second half, and Sweden got its first shot on goal in the 85th minute through Sophia Jakobsen. Alex Morgan had a header on Lynn Williams' cross in the dying moments of regulation that was well saved by Musovic, and we went to extra time scoreless. Morgan and Williams each four saves out of Musovic, who had 11 total saves in the match, but the American finishing woes continued, and we went to a penalty shootout still scoreless. First two rounds were all makes from Sullivan, Fridolina Rolfo, Haran, and Ellen Rubinston. With her first touch of the game, Christy Mewis put the U.S. ahead 3-2 with a finish high to the left, and Natalie Bjorn's miss really solidified that advantage. But Megan Rapino, who for so much of her career was automatic in these situations, missed badly high and wide. Alyssa Nair still kept the U.S. advantage at 3-2 after four rounds, completely laying out to parry away a Rebecca Blomqvist shot to the bottom right corner. With a chance to win the match, Sophia Smith missed wide right, and Hannah Benison converted to send it to sudden death. We got a pretty early instance of the keeper penalty, which I love, uh, as Nair calmly went right down the middle, 
uh, only to be answered by Magdalena Erickson. Kelly O'Hara, who, like Mewis, was thrown on the field right before the shootout, shootout, hit her shot right off the post. And with a chance to win it for Sweden, Lena Hertig shot low into the right, which Nair saved, and then swatted away the rebound as it was coming down towards the goal line. But after an extensive VAR review, FIFA flashed up a PowerPoint slide that showed the ball a literal millimeter over the line. So even though no human being could realistically perceive it as a goal, it was awarded to Sweden to give the win and eliminate the United States in possibly the stupidest fucking way I've ever seen a World Cup match end. The United States has never finished lower than third at a World Cup, but after a thoroughly underwhelming performance in this tournament, gets bounced on the round of 16 in the cruelest possible fashion. Sweden advances to the quarterfinals for the second straight tournament and seventh time overall. Dom, what were your thoughts on this one? We got what we deserved. We got what we deserved. The ball went in, Andy. The ball went in. Because the computer told you so. Like You couldn't see that it went went in. It went in, didn't it? If, it went if in. that happens in any like training session, a coach is like, "No, this like no, that doesn't count." Ooh, Try it. It's like, not a it's... training session. The ball went in. The ball went, in. and you know what? You avoid all of that if Sophia Smith just scores. Oh, for sure. Yeah, like, and I, I'm not like I'm very bitter about this. I'm not saying it to say that the U.S. didn't deserve to get eliminated. They did didn't say that they didn't have chances to put it away. They absolutely did. All those things are true, but like that is the most bullshit way to lose a match I've ever seen. Like that's nonsense. Sounds great. It's nonsense, but we lost and put ourselves in that position. And I, uh, I don't even know if I have like fully coherent thoughts in part because I didn't really watch most of the match coherently live with it being at five in the morning on a Sunday after a night when I decided to go out and do young adult things at a bar um, instead of going to bed early to watch. Um, I didn't think we'd win this competition. Like it is, it's hard enough to win back-to-back world cups. It's even harder to win three in a row. Um, and with the depth that is around the world right now in the women's game, like I think it's a complete disservice to the sport to think that the U.S. is just going to dog walk the rest of the world again. Um, but but what I get frustrated with, and and the fact that Vladko Antonovsky hasn't, we're recording this on Wednesday night. The U.S. women lost on Sunday morning in America. The fact that there's no news of him and not being the women's national team head coach is a little annoying, to say the least. Um, Look, I'm going to come out and say it. I believe this is a job where, given the resources, the talent pool, the money at your disposal, the fact that you're the highest paid women's national team manager in the world. Um, This is a job that should be volatile enough where if you aren't at least making the final of every single international competition that you enter, you should be fired. Maybe that's rough. Maybe that's harsh. I get there's factors in a tournament that can lead you to not get there, i.e. France, in my opinion, in 2019, being the second best team at the Women's World Cup and drawing the women's national team in the quarters, 
right? I get that there are things that happen like that. I don't care what the draw is. We should be making the final of all of these competitions. And I said it about the men after the gold cup, your chances at the international level and competitive matches are so finite that what I thought and hoped was going to be 15 matches of us getting to watch the U S at a competitive level turned out to be just 11, just 11. I mean, that's not even a third of a premier league season. Right. Like there's just not many chances to watch your team play and to, and for these players to compete at the highest level. And it felt like tactically with the subs that were made, that that message wasn't actually in the brain of our dimwitted manager. Um, and I don't want to come after his humanity. He answered questions extremely well. Afterward, it seems like he's a nice enough dude who is extremely stressed out <laughs> by all of this. But at the end of the day, man, like you're paid a lot of fucking money to do this. So please do it well and stop playing a 40 year old fucking player who's like basically on geriatric watch at this point. I love Megan Rapino. I love Megan Rapino. She could have managed this team to a title probably, <laughs> but instead she's out there shanking PKs and I'm, I'm sad. I'm hurt. If there's any positive to take from this, it's that so, so many players on this team are going to be just entering their prime come the next world cup. Um, but I, I don't think it can be stressed enough. I think this next calendar year, for U.S. soccer as an entire federation for both the men and the women, you could argue is one of the most important calendar years that we've had in a long, long time, right? On the men's side, like I think there's a level of needing to really kind of assert your dominance in the region by winning Nations League again. And honestly, you need to be finding a way to make the final of Copa America next summer. And then on the women's side, you have a W Gold Cup that you need to be winning. You you have you have to win that competition. And I think you have to win gold at the Olympics next summer. And then for the men, it's about establishing yourself at kind of the U23 stage on that level and how many of the B team guys are we going to be able to see get a chance to perform in France, right? There are so many questions going into this year and it starts with getting the women a kick-ass manager. Um, Cause the talent's there. The talent's always going to be there. Um, why we're trying to make Alex Morgan play as if she's a number 10 instead of the pure goal scoring number nine that she is, is beyond me. The match is what it was. Tactically, I thought they were fine. Um, it's it's an unlucky result, if anything. Like Sweden's a very, very good team. Their goalie played out of this world. Um, and when you go down to the coin flip of PKs, you're gonna lose 50% of the time. Like that's just that's just the way it goes. But what I'm frustrated by is the fact that we were in that position to begin with. And rant. Sorry. Well, a point that you made that I would like to highlight and underscore, it is insane to me that we haven't got, like, the U.S. soccer put out a nothing burger statement. Obviously, the Mexican men's national team job is very different, but Diego Coca got fired, like, 12 hours after Mexico came in third at, in the Nations League. 
what like i mean i don't fire him in australia you know at least wait till the flight gets back and they don't want to strand the poor guy on the other side of the world but there's there's no reason that he should still be employed like what is there to evaluate like anyone with eyeballs saw what happened and like you said i mean i, I think he's a nice guy he certainly had success at the club level like he just didn't get done though it, managing a club team managing a national team are two very different things and he, just, he doesn't have the juice and should not be near this program ever again. Especially um, in the women's game. Cause there's no, like the way they do qualifying is so much different. So there's no, like at least in the men's game, like there's kind of a regular rotation of, of competitive matches that you have to play in, especially if you're not hosting a world cup, a women's game that just doesn't exist. And you're like, you're judged by all of these competitions and the fact that he finished third at the Olympics and was largely lackluster the entire competition, we barely beat kind of a mediocre Canada team in the CONCACAF championship last summer and did so while not looking all that convincing at all. Um, and then to have this exit at the World Cup, it's like, to me, he should have been gone after the Olympics. To me, there yeah. may have even been a case to get rid of him after last summer. Um, and instead we rode with him and I believe we got the, we got the result of that. And we got uh, the hindsight there. glasses are always very clear, but there probably were some, some road signs along the way. It, it was, it's, it's an ironic exit for the world cup because outside of just like the cruelty of how it ended specifically, the U S like looked pretty good in this match. Like they didn't look good at all in the group stage. He got he got the tactics right, especially to start out. I was very skeptical of Sonnet and Sullivan as a double pivot. Like when I saw the lineup come out, I'm like, mm, I don't think that's gonna work. But it did. Um, it really solidified the midfield defensively. Andy Sullivan played phenomenally. I think that really allowed her to play to her strengths. I mean, she was playing great diagonal ball. She had a little bit more freedom because the entire defensive responsibility wasn't on her. And then moving forward, it gave Rodman and Smith a lot more space to operate in, and they were able to just take roles one-on-one. I think that really played to their strengths. So, you know, it looked good. It's like, okay, like, you know, we've learned our lessons. Like, we're moving forward. Like, this is good. But the biggest damning thing for me with Vladko and his tenure is just, like, the inability to adjust and the refusal to use subs. It's like you're – we already – barely rotated the squad at all so there's so many miles on everyone's legs the only sub in regulation was to take out trinity rodman and i believe there's some speculation that she was sick so she was probably just on a minute restriction to begin with yeah then the only other sub for the next you know the first 129 minutes was megan rapino who like you said lover icon has been horrible like she's been awful like the one thing that you want out of her is set piece delivery and she could not even do that then you throw on christy mewis and kelly o'hara 30 seconds before a shootout that's just setting someone up to fail it's a miracle that mewis scored the penalty that she did the and it's no surprise PK. that o'hara didn't gorgeous pk by the way it was it was a great pk and then that's that's still like you get an extra sub in extra time so that leaves two subs that we just completely did not use at all which again you have the world's like most talented bench. That alone is enough. That is malpractice. Um, my favorite Vladko fact, I think 
not enough people are talking about this is that this man played professional indoor soccer in the MISL in America for like six years, including for the Philadelphia Kicks, which is spelled K I then capital X, capital X, which is just, if that's not the most beautiful, like late 90s, early 2000s soccer in America culture thing ever. I don't know what it is. He also coached the Missouri Comets for a little bit. That league has rebranded to the MASL now. Um, so my my ideal Vladko appointment would be either the Baltimore Blast or the Dallas Sidekicks. That's where I want to see him next. Um, in terms of the next U.S. coach, I think uh, O.L. Reign head coach, Laura Harvey, uh, seems to be the favorite as successor. I'm probably not smart enough to tell you who exactly they should hire. For me, though, above all, it has to be somebody who is just willing to take a look at the player pool with fresh eyes, no previous attachments or ideas, and you have to prioritize maximizing that talent within the pool over shoehorning players into a system. And that should be the overarching goal for any national team manager in any context. But very specifically, that was the problem with this one is we were putting square pegs in round holes. We need to not do that. Like we just well, there also needs to, to be put them in a position to succeed. Well, yeah, there, I mean, there also just needs to be a willingness to adjust because yep. some of these reports that are coming out now. They sound true. I can't. I mean, if SI and the athletic are the ones reporting them, I'm going to assume they're correct. Um, you know, when Mallory Swanson went down, I guess there was no backup plan for who was going to kind of take over that floating number 10 role. Plus Macario, and, too. Right. And so instead, we're again asking a true back to goal number nine and Alex Morgan to play as a floating 10 to track when, when has alex morgan ever tracked back <laughs> she plays forward like you do andy yes she poaches and she gets timely goals and like the advantage is is whoever comes in you don't have to qualify for either of the competitions that we're playing in um you'll note that canada has to go and play a two-legged tie against Jamaica to make the world to make the uh, Olympics. We don't have to do that. We do not have to do that. Um, and so I'm hopeful that that can be used as an opportunity to schedule big time friendlies against some of the world's best, which the U.S. doesn't really ever have an issue doing. Um, I believe they've scheduled a double header with South Africa in September, to my knowledge. Um, it, regardless of who it is. Um, hopefully the rest of 2023 will give whoever comes in ample opportunity to kind of evaluate what it is they're exactly working with so that come February, we can flex on the region and flex on some of South America, and then ideally be, be ready to, to win gold in France. Um, we might have to do like an hour long tactical analysis of that two leg tie between Canada and Jamaica for that final we, Olympic spot. We hey, and the winner of that also qualifies for the W Gold Cup as well. It's uh, true. Like that's right in the because Concacaf wheelhouse it, it is really like the is. obscure one off competitions. <laughs> I don't know, man. I I'm sure you've got more thoughts in the back. I do. Now that you mention it, um, 
I, I will. I want to shout out Alyssa Nair. I thought she was awesome in this game. Sweden's basically their entire attacking strategy was to get corner kicks and just throw bodies at her on those corner kicks and see what would happen. That's a really tough spot. I thought she did really well, both punching balls away and grabbing balls and crosses when she could. Um, at one point, she delivered Trandy Rodman a new piece of gum after she had gotten fouled. Just a great teammate. Making a penalty in the shootout. Usually, was- like, your goalie is, like, your 11th Bro. kick taker. She was cold. She was number six, and she took uh. it, <laughs> went down the middle, which takes some stones to do. And then, like, just didn't react at all. Like, this is just another day at the office for Alyssa. Could that you imagine, though? So cool. Could you imagine if she had saved the next PK? How cold of an ending that is. Your keeper yeah. scores and saves the winning round of PKs. That would have been bananas. I mean, she did make, like, she made a save. And then I, I think she made the second one. I, I felt so horrible for her because, like, the the feed showed her standing there in just disbelief as they put up the PowerPoint slide of the millimeter of difference. Like I I truly like obviously like that's the only thing that matters. But I think in a listener's heart that ball did not go in, and I will stand with her on that. I felt horrible for her because she was really not tested a ton in the group stage. The backline did so well. I think this might I think she may have made her first save of the tournament in this match. Um, so to like not have the reps throughout and to come up big like that is pretty impressive. Um, my one other thought, um, I just have a lot of access to grind today. And so the other thing I would like to complain about is the yellow card accumulation rule that meant that Rose Lavelle was not playing in this game. And like, we're not the only team that it's affected. Like other countries have been affected by this too. The right now under the current rules, if you pick up two yellow cards across any of the first five matches, you're suspended for the next one. That is insane to me. Just based off of just the inconsistency of just the humanity of officials and refs, what one ref sees as a yellow card is not what another one will. Game game to game, just the situations are so different. When you are having all these elite players on the world stage, the biggest stage possible, this is the biggest advertisement for the sport. Why would you make it so easy for your biggest stars to just like back their way into missing time? It's just shooting yourself in the foot. I, it's, it's bad for the game. It is like most leagues have a similar policy, but it's like, you know, if you get five yellow cards over the course of a season, that's like, you know, 30 games. You I think get it's, no, I think that it, makes sense. I think it's like eight. Like, I think the yeah. Premier League is like eight yellow cards. And at some certain point, even like as they get closer to the end of the season, like if you go a certain number of matches without getting one, like I think they go away. Yeah, like, which is how it should be. Like, game to game, like, not all yellow cards are equal. And there's also times where yellow cards are just, like, complete bullshit. (laughs) Well, in in my opinion, too, if you even want to do it that way, like, it should be after the group stage, they get washed. So if you get two in the first two, like, if you get two in the first two matches, 
you you're suspended for the third. But if you can make it through the first two matches without getting a second yellow, then you don't need to miss the knockouts. And then it should be the same in the knockouts. Like if you can get through the quarters without getting two consecutive, then you should be able to play the semi in the final. Like as it stands right now, you could get a yellow card. Say you like step in front of a free kick to delay the restart to like waste some time at the end of the win. You get a yellow card for that in the very first group stage game. You have like a perfect disciplinary record and you get to the quarterfinal and say you get into like a shoving match or something, like trying to stand up for a teammate. You get another yellow card in that quarterfinal match. Yeah, you you're suspended for the semifinal. Yeah. In my mind, it should be I say don't wipe them at all, but if you get three yellow cards in a tournament, you're suspended for the next one. Like that's a much higher but like because like i get the spirit of the rule you don't want people just like you know willy-nilly going around being people up but it has to be within reason to actually protect the point of us watching this game mm-hmm. i don't know i think that sucks and because if we had, had if we had had rose in that match it's a very different match she has enough quality where like some of those chances that we had could have completely unlocked sweden and I mean, it could be, it could have been one or two nil because the back line was so good. I mean, I said it in the preview of the round of 16, like our back line was so good that all we needed to win the world cup was like a goal a game yep. and hell in this match, we almost didn't even need a goal to advance. Um, I'm just, yeah, I, I, I think I've said all I can on this. Yep. I'm disappointed. I'm sad. Um, it sucks. Well, I'm assuming we'll talk about the backlash at some point in an episode later down the road, maybe when we don't have eight other matches to talk about. Um, but I'm hurt that this team's like, uh, patriotism was like fucking questioned the entire time. Um, anyway, I'm sorry. That's, that's probably for another episode. Yeah, I I have an extended rant on that that is not quite right. We'll, we'll we'll get to it after after this whole deal ends and we'll keep the focus on the teams that are currently playing. Shall we talk about Spain and uh whoever the hell they destroyed? Switzerland. It was Switzerland. Uh the first round of 16 match was not much of a contest at all. Spain cruised to a 5-1 win over Switzerland, holding a 26 to 2 advantage in total shots. Even the one Swiss goal came from a Spanish own goal. Atiana Bonmati scored a brace while Alba Redondo, Laia Codina, and Jennifer Hermoso all found the back of the net for Spain. Switzerland has made two World Cup appearances, the previous one coming in 2015, and both have ended in the round of 16. This is Spain's third World Cup, and they continue to build. Uh, they were eliminated in the group stage in their debut in 2015 made it to the round of 16 in 2019, and, and are now on to the quarterfinals for the first time in 2023. you have any uh, specific thoughts on this match? So, funny enough, I actually watched about 60 minutes of this match at 1 in the morning on, uh, on Friday. Um, what I was doing at 1 in the morning is not really anybody's business, but either way, I was up and watching. Um 
<laughs> this thing wasn't even close. No, I, I mean, think it's it, easily the biggest blowout it, of the round. I mean, it, but like, like, okay, they, like they're every now and then, even like, like Japan throttling Spain 4 0. Like, if you watched that match, like, you'd go, okay, Spain in reality can go toe to toe with Japan. It was just kind of one of those matches. No, 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 no. This was every bit of that. And the own goal was laughable yeah i mean that thing was scored i mean i mean and like a 45 yard from like the midline yeah so yeah. like switzerland didn't even touch the ball in their own half on the own goal and it it just didn't phase spain i mean they came back out and i think they scored like four minutes later on like a picture move and a header to like the far post um I, I think if you're not looking at Spain as a favorite as well, because I think if they and I I think if they play Japan again, I don't think you're gonna see what you saw in the group stage. If they play in the semis, I think that match is completely different than what we saw about a week ago. We could go. Oh, sorry. Yeah, I agree. I think this game really showed the gap between the teams in Group C and the teams in Group A. And I think that's a product of the host nation getting placed in in Pot A. Like, New Zealand's in that group. They didn't get it done when they needed to, so you you have a weaker team advance out of it, and this this is just what you get. Um, Yes, and again, I think think Spain showed that they're – I think they're one of the the favorites in this competition. I agree. Uh, I I think they have enough – talented players that they can make some noise into the semifinals. Uh, Bonmati for me is the one to watch. I mean, she's so technical on the ball. Um, yeah, I, I think they're dangerous. I think that's all I've got. Japan. Japan took on Norway in a rematch of the 1999 group stage match where Norway won four to nothing in a monsoon at soldier field and a preview of what will likely happen to the Chicago bears this season. Uh, Shut up. <laughs> go pack, go, baby. I had to get that one in there. Japan had the majority of the chances early, and they broke through on a weird goal in the 15th minute. Hanata Miyazawa put in a pretty standard cross, and under no pressure at all, Ingrid Seerstad Engen sticks her leg out and deflects it past her own keeper to put Japan up 1 0. Uh, Norway answered right back in the 20th minute. Caroline Graham Hansen, former Wolfsburg great, now a star at Barcelona. She does great work in the midfield to eliminate two defenders on the dribble, play a through ball to Manchester United's Vilde Borisa along the right wing. She floated across into the box where Chelsea's Gura Wrighton equalized at 1-1 with a beautiful header. Japan went ahead again in the 50th minute when Risa Shimizu jumped on a bad pass in the box and scored her first goal of the tournament. Norwegian star Ada Hegeberg subbed on in the 74th minute, but it did not make a difference for the Scandinavians. In the 81st minute, Aoba Fujino played a great through ball that put Miyazawa in on goal, and she scored her fifth goal of the tournament, tournament leading, and on her first touch to put Japan ahead 3-1 and seal the win. Uh, Japanese goalkeeper Ayaka Yamashita made a great diving save in stoppage time to deny Karina Savic's header as well. So after making at least the semifinals in four of the first five World Cups, Norway, the 1995 champions, have failed to even make the quarterfinals in three of the last four competitions. And after making back-to-back finals in 2011 and 2015, Japan was eliminated in the round of 16 in 2019, but they now return to the quarterfinals and look like a legitimate contender again. Um, 
I'm not going to lie. I actually thought Norway showed um, a, a lot more than they did in the group stage in this match, at least from the highlights I saw. Um, I really wish Fox would just put out like 15 to 20 minute long highlights for each match like ESPN used to do. Um, but we don't get that. Um, look, if you didn't think Japan was a favorite before, I mean, I think I think you should believe that now. Um, I am convinced now. You, I think I am I, one I, over. I think they're gonna smoke Sweden on on Friday morning. Um, I'm sure it'll be close at stages, but it's so hard to score on their back line. They're super clinical and efficient in the final third. Um, I, I'm starting to believe they've got the best midfield in the competition right now. Um, and my God, man, like. Their link-up play from the back line to the forwards is just so gorgeous and efficient, beautiful. And, like, I think if you're, like, like, let's say you have a save on, like, football manager or something. And, like, you're you're taking Cork City up from, like, the Conference League up to the Premier League, like, and you're trying to make all these adjustments to make your team play a certain way, like how Japan is playing right now, I think is what you want your end product to look like. Um, they're a thing of beauty. Um, again, I do believe if they play Spain, I think that match is completely different than what we saw in the group stage. But again, like I think they're a favorite to win the whole deal or at least make the final. What's impressive to me about Japan is that it does not matter what style of team they are playing up against. They are so tactically sound that they are just always in control of the game. Even if they don't have the ball, like they are controlling the game. Like it is at their tempo, at their pace, and things are going the way that they want them to go. Um, yeah, I. they're for real. They might get their second World Cup. Um it's going to take a, a big effort from a talented team to beat them. Yeah. Netherlands, South Africa. Uh, these teams have never played each other at a major tournament, but share an interesting historical relationship with the Dutch East India Company establishing Cape Town and Dutch colonialism helping to spark the Osa Wars. But back in the 21st century, speedy South African forward Tembi Kailana was a force to be reckoned with and registered five shots in the match. The first coming in the sixth minute after the Bayana Banyana intercepted a pass and a quick session of diagonal balls. Two minutes later, though, Esme Brutes looked to recreate some of her long-distance magic from the group stage, curling one from the corner of the box that forced a save from Kaylin Swart, who played NAIA soccer at Menlo College. Uh, Leek Martins got a header to Sharita Spitz's ensuing corner kick, and while that was blocked by a defender off the line, it popped up to Joe Roard, who had the easiest possible header directly in front of goal to put the Dutch up 1-0. South Africa had to make two injury subs before halftime. Starters Jermaine Siopo-Senwe and Bambani Mbane both need to be replaced. In the 68th minute, Martins brought down a ball in the midfield with her chest and played a great ball to sprint Juventus forward Lyneth Berenstein down the wing. Her shot from the top of the box goes right through Swartz's hands. Unfortunately, an absolute howler. That put the Dutch up 2-0, which was the final score of the match. Uh, thoughts on this one? So, I I honestly just watched the uh, 
highlights and analysis and stuff of this match today. Um, it was really hard for me to stomach that the Netherlands just kind of low key cruised to the quarterfinals while the U S went out. Um, but to me, what this, what this match kind of reminded me of is like, you know, when you're watching, um, I think NCAA basketball is probably the best example of this. When you're watching like a power five school play kind of one of the better mid-majors in the country. And for about 35 minutes, like the mid-major is like staying with the bigger school, right? They're, they're within three to five points, like the entire way. It's clear that they have talented players that can keep up with the pace of the game and with the depth of the game. And then in that final like five minutes, there's the, it like like the little school is down by two or three points, right? And then they don't score. And then the big school is a three. And then they don't score. And then there's a layup. And then there's like a momentum shifting dunk. And all of a sudden, like North Carolina is all of a sudden beating Toledo by 13. That's what this match reminded me of because it was clear that like South Africa has the players to 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 play their style of game, right? Um, who's their best player's name's Ngawa, right? Uh Katlana was the Katlana. God, I'm sorry. Good God, I'm tripping. Katlana, like she can play at that yeah. level. Right. Yeah. Like she is is good enough to absolutely cut up the entire Dutch back line. But what is she missing? Somebody to dish it to to get the final touch in uh, the ability to on a regular basis when every time you get a chance to find the back of the net or at least find a little bit more consistently. Right. Whereas the Dutch didn't play that great. But but they they had the mental fortitude to see the match out to keep South Africa out of the net and then at the end the overall quality to find the back of the net a couple times like that's just the kind of stuff that's going to separate right now the better teams from kind of I don't want to say like the minnows but just kind of the lower tiered teams um, and this was a classic. Like, okay, if you want to compare the Men's World Cup to the Women's World Cup, that this may not be entertaining. This was a carbon copy Men's World Cup round of 16 match. This was the Dutch beating the U.S. at the World Cup in Qatar. That's what this match was. Like, it's clear the U.S. is capable of playing in a match like this, but they just didn't have that that kind of cutthroat finishing ability that the Dutch men had in that match. And that's what you saw here. I thought South Africa was really interesting. They they pressed really effectively, and, and they forced the Netherlands into just a lot of bad decisions, a lot of bad passes that South Africa turned into interceptions. And I thought they did a very good job of, once that happened, they moved the ball very quickly and got it to Katlana in dangerous situations. But a lot of times it was just her. Like, you're getting her, you know, 1v2, which is better than her just trying to dribble through the entire defense but just like there wasn't quite enough support you know to provide another option and maybe keep a defender honest um and and then themselves once they got into possession that they, they were a little sloppy as well um but yeah i mean i think i think the mid-major college basketball metaphor is apt uh, i think this is a match that you know four eight years ago 
the Netherlands probably runs through, you know, three, nil, four, nil, and it's not close. Mm -hmm. And so I think this is a really good indicator of the continued growth of this game as we beat that dead horse several times, but yeah, I mean, I, I thought South Africa did a lot of good things. It was just like, oh, just like that little bit of quality that was missing. Um, but a valiant effort by them for sure. The Dutch, yeah. I mean, back to my yellow card rants, they're going to be without Danielle Van de Donk in the midfield because of yellow card accumulation for the quarterfinals. So that sucks for them too. I will also say if their federation actually funded this women's national team, how different could it be? Um, you know? I don't know. For sure. Uh, anyway, that's probably a conversation for some geopolitical episode that we'll make later down the line. But anyway. The only previous World Cup meeting between England and Nigeria was in the 1995 group stage where England won 3-2 to two to eliminate the Super Falcons. In this one, it was Nigeria putting the pressure early on. Uh, Ashley Plumtree, Big Ten legend from USC, now at Leicester City, rocked the crossbar with a shot in the 16th minute in a sequence where Nigeria regained possession and cycled it around to set up Plumtree again for a shot at the top of the box that forced a diving save out of Manchester United's Mary Earps. In the 23rd minute, a Nigerian defender whiffed on a clearance and Alessia Russo, former North Carolina Tar Heel great, now at Manchester United, Pounced on it and forced a good reaction save, uh, reaction save out of Chamaka Nadozi with a first-time shot. In the 76th, Nadozi made a double save on a corner kick, first from Rachel Daly, former St. John's Red Storm great, and Houston Dash great. She's now at Aston Villa. On a free header at the near post, uh, then on Russo's header at the back post off the rebound. Lauren James got a deserved straight red for violent conduct in the 87th minute as she deliberately stepped on Michelle Alozzi after the two got tangled after a tackle. So England went down to 10 players, but both teams failed to score through extra time. Both teams missed their opening penalty in the shootout. The aptly named Bethany England converted in the second round for England, and Alozzi skied hers over the bar to give the Lionesses the advantage. Ultimately, it was Manchester City's Chloe Kelly who converted in the final round to give England a 4-2 win in the shootout and a place in the quarterfinals. England advances to the quarterfinals for the fifth straight World Cup. Their best finish was a third place in 2015. While the Super Falcons campaign ends at the round of 16 for the second straight tournament, their best previous finish was a quarterfinals appearance in 1999. Okay. This, to me, again, with all these freaking matches happening in the middle of the night, uh, I didn't see any of this live. But when you watch the replay and the highlights – this was almost a carbon copy of the USA Sweden match. Um, and to me, like, let's say the U S ends up winning the PK shootout four two. I think a lot of the commentary around that team is very similar to England, right? Yeah. They, they had the mental fortitude to withstand uh, inferior opponent who played above their weight, who was punching above their weight to advance, right? Let's say Michelle Losey doesn't send her first PK into the stratosphere and Nigeria advances. Commentary around England is completely different. So you'll get to it legitimately in a minute here. But I saw your note said your your freaking coworker said experience <laughs> was the difference. No, I think I think this was just the 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 nature of sports. Like you have to decide even matched things somehow, some way, right? 
unless you're John Isner and Nicholas Mahoud at Wimbledon in 2010, when you just play games until the sun comes up and then goes down and then goes down again and then comes up again. Um, well, that was a good match. I thought Nigeria honestly had the lion's share of chances. Um, Lauren James, that red card was just stupid and mindless and dumb. And I think it's going to end up costing her team a chance to essentially get to the medal round of a, of a world cup again. Um, I think they're going to lose to Columbia in the quarterfinals without her. Um, and England up to this point still hasn't impressed me enough to think that they're going to breeze through that match especially after having just played 120 grueling and emotional minutes while Colombia, yes, only won one, nothing largely cruised for 90 minutes against Jamaica. Um, I, yeah, yeah. That's all I got for you. You mentioned it. it. It's funny when you're as into sports as you and I are, which is, you know, more than most of the population. And both of us have recently gone from working in sports to, having jobs outside of that industry and when you work with people who and this is most you know normal you know sane people not like us who watch sports very casually and they'll have opinions on things and i just like <laughs> yeah i have to like take it with a grain of salt and say yeah this, this and this coworker is super nice and i think like her son plays soccer so she's been around the game a little bit but she was just like she just has these like very adamant takes and like you can't convince her otherwise. She's like, oh, it was experience. Like that was what it was. It's like, no, I thought like I thought Nigeria at times were the better team. Um, Nigeria's been and a lot of the best chances. I think what we forget is like it's a game of at the at the World Cup, for the most part, like this ain't about <laughs> experience. Like they had to they had to win the African Cup of Nations to get here. Like they've been in these positions before in a semifinal must win. They've been in a group stage match where they've needed a result to move on. Like, yeah, okay, maybe the stage is a little bit different, but like the moments aren't any different, right? And Megan Rapinoe's experience didn't help her in the shootout. Correct. Sorry, I'm, I'm not I'm not getting into that right now. We already talked about that. Here's a... Was Lauren James playing 3D chess? Because the player that she stepped on was the one who missed the penalty. Was it like a Luis Suarez of the 2010 World Cup where he gets the red card on the handball? Cool, and you know what? And, and you know Ghana what, misses the penalty. Yeah, and you know what happened? Advance. You know what happened to Uruguay without Luis Suarez in the semis? They came in fourth. They lost. And I think that will happen to England on Saturday morning against Colombia. That I would love I to to poll just any Ghanaian on what their thoughts on Luis Suarez are. I would imagine. Well, the whole continent of Africa, I think, wanted to murder him. Anyway, okay. What's next? Uh, the only previous World Cup meeting between Australia and Den- Denmark was also in the 1995 group stage, where Denmark destroyed Australia 5-0 and would eventually advance to the quarterfinals. This one would have a very different balance to it. Uh, Denmark was gained forward well early on, especially through Pernille Harder. But Australia striked first in the 29th minute. Manchester City's Mary Fowler played a great long ball from inside her own half that finds Arsenal legend Caitlin Ford open on the wing. 
Ford sprints into the box and nutmegs the keeper to put the Matildas up 1-0. In the 70th minute, Fowler's shot was blocked in the box and fell to Emily Van Egmond, who lays it off for Haley Rasso, who has an easy finish to double Australian lead at 2-0, which was the final score. Australia will make their fourth quarterfinals appearance, all within the last five World Cups, but they are still looking for their first ever semifinals appearance. This was Denmark's first knockout stage appearance since that 1995 World Cup, but they could not match their best performance of quarterfinals in both 95 and 91. Man, this atmosphere was lit. It was awesome. Um, I think I'm all in on Australia at this point. Like, I think at all competitions, not all, most competitions like this, outside of like freaking Russia and Qatar, I think it's very easy to root for the host nation, um, especially when it's one like Australia who – Yes, I think has in the in the like grand scheme of the women's game, I think has history, but doesn't have any history of winning anything. Um, I think it's it, it could be really cool to potentially watch them make an even deeper run into this competition. Um, and I think the game is so wide open and the fact that they're at home, like I think they got every chance in the world to beat France. They look just as talented. They look just as clinical. And if they get Sam Kerr back, um, when you've got a world-class finisher like that, potentially giving you 90 minutes on completely fresh legs, albeit fresh off of injury, but fresh, fresh legs. Um, it was fun. I I mean, there's not, not really much in my opinion to talk about. Like Australia took their chances. They took them well. They got in and out with a 2-0 win and probably at the end could have been three, four, you know, maybe even five. Denmark just wasn't, they weren't up, 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 up to snuff. They weren't up for the show. Like it, that's just the way it goes. Yeah. This one was pretty straightforward. Sam Kerr did return to play. She came in on as a sub in the second half. The first time that she's played at this world cup. I mean, you mentioned the atmosphere. You could tell there's just like a buzz around the stadium as she's coming in. Super exciting times for Australia if they can get her with all the other attacking talent that they have all clicking at the same time. I agree. They're dangerous. They're fun to watch. I will also say real quick, at times you can, you'll can you see some host nations succumb to the pressure of hosting, i.e. Qatar, at the 2022 World Cup. And then you see other nations that tend to embrace the pressure and rise above and play above their level. Um, example, even, even though they didn't make it out of the group stage, South Africa in 2010, um, Russia. I mean, in Russia made the quarterfinals of the 2018 World Cup. And yeah. I believe lost on PKs in the quarters. If yes, I'm not mistaken. Croatia? Yes. Um, even France at the 2019 World Cup. Um, yes, a women's team that was highly ranked at the time, but had never, I think, really kind of gotten over any sort of hump and they lost you know arguably one of the best matches of the tournament to the u.s but you saw south the korea play. the men's o2 yes, world cup exactly um and so seeing australia do that tells me that um if they do go out against france it's gonna at least be a dog fight or it could essentially be an extra time or pk's Columbia-Jamaica was the all-chaos matchup that the sickos that run this podcast love to see. These two had never met at a major tournament, 
although they do technically share a border across the Caribbean Sea and are major trade partners. Fun geopolitics for you there. Uh, the difference came in the 51st minute as left back Anna Maria Guzman played across from 40 yards out on the wing that found Catalina Usme on the back post. She brings it down with a good first touch that gets her inside the defender and then finishes with her left foot to put Colombia up 1-0. There were more nervy moments in the 55th as Linda Caicedo got in on goal, but Rebecca Spencer came off her line to snuff out the breakaway. Jamaica's best chance came in the 82nd minute when Drew Spence had a free header in the box, but she nods it wide, which, again, is typical of a Tottenham Hotspur player. Atletico Madrid's Lacey Santos dove in the 86th minute to hit a header that bounced off the post, but it wasn't needed as Las Cafeteras advanced with a 1-0 win. Colombia advances to the quarterfinals for the first time ever while Jamaica's World Cup ends at the round of 16, which is also their best ever finish. Um, Again, this match was at like four in the morning, so getting to see the whole match in its entirety was is just kind of difficult. But from what I saw, and I don't know, like yell at me if I'm wrong, but even though it was only 1-0, like it really felt like Colombia kind of ran the balance of play. Um. I think what you saw was Jamaica's lack of quality and service to Bunny Shaw. Um, just just kind of do them in. Um, they're a great story. They were absolutely incredible the entire time they were in the tournament. Um, but at the end of the day, even though they only gave up one goal in four matches, they only scored one goal in four matches. And um, as much as goal scoring is about quality and ability it's also about timeliness and it felt as if jamaica didn't really have either in that department and you can only go so far with arguably the best or one of the best back lines in the tournament um columbia is here to stay um they've got a ton of talent ton of young talent um they had fox had one of their former players on um like one of their little after shows that they they do after the matches end and she was like sobbing just being able to see her country kind of get over that hump and make it to the next level of of women's football and again i think they had every chance to beat to beat england in the next round um and honestly depending on how the draw falls like i would i wouldn't be shocked if they are there at 6 a.m. on Sunday, August 20th, playing for a trophy. Um, I don't think they'll get there. I, I do think they'll likely lose to England, but I would not be surprised if they saw themselves um, in that match at the end of the day. They're another good example against the experiences, the difference argument. I mean, Caicedo's 18. Uh, Guzman, who had the assist on the goal, she's a teenager as well. They just have this like youthful energy about them. That and like they traveled pretty well. There's a lot of Colombian fans at the World Cup. I mean, they have like electric atmospheres there too. They're They're so fun. fun. They're so fun. Um, sad to see Concacaf's presence at this World Cup end, but I also think the future is very bright for Jamaica and the Caribbean as a whole with Haiti playing well too. Um, so I mean, it's gonna be a because like UEFA podcast from here on out. Um. But, I mean, it's still, a, like, a good showing, I think, for the region. I think Jamaica doing so well is really nice to see that it's not just the U.S. and Canada. Like, if Mexico can get their shit together, like, the women's game in the region could be really fun to follow in years to come. 
There was some more interesting historical context around European colonialism in Africa for the France-Morocco match. In 1912, Sultan Abdel Hafid of Morocco signed under duress the Treaty of Fez, which established the French protectorate in Morocco and gave France de facto colonial rule in the country. Eventually, in 1956, Sultan Mohammed V returned from exile as a symbol for Moroccan nationalist movement and successfully renegotiated independence for Morocco from France and Spain. Despite the triumph of colonial independence, France had an easy time dispatching Morocco by a 4-0 scoreline. Le Bleu scored three goals within eight minutes midway through the first half, with Kadi Diatu Diani scoring first and then assisting Aston Villa's Kenza Dali and then Eugenie Le Sommer. Lisa Mayer then got her brace in the 70th minute, heading home across from Vicky Becho. Fourth consecutive quarterfinals appearance for France, um, but they have not gone to the semifinals since 2011. And before 2022, Morocco had never been to a World Cup or Olympics and had gone out in the group stage in their only two African Cup of Nations appearances in 98 and 2000. Since then, they finished runners-up at the 2022 Africa Cup of Nations and made the round of 16 at a World Cup Salute to the Atlas Lionesses. This was just like, (laughs) this was just the case of a team in Morocco basically entering a tournament and saying, we are going to play one way. We are going to play our way. And that is it. We are not going to adjust based on opponent, which leads to 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 crazy wins over Colombia and South Korea, but then leads to giving up 10 goals against Germany and France. Um, and there there is a level of that where you I think you have to just commend them for wanting to stick to their style. Um, but you just I mean you just watched them play um just a vastly superior opponent. Um, and get shelled. I mean, I think I texted you midway through the first half, like, oh, this is this is just France's flex, isn't it? Um, and I've loved these 7 a.m. kicks because it's meant that I can watch the first half while I get ready for work and then listen to the second half on my way into work. And as I start my day, I didn't even I didn't even bother with the second half with this one, to be honest with you. It was over before yeah, half it was time. over after a half hour. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it was over before we even got to halftime. Um Again, salute to Morocco. Phenomenal showing. Um, Again, the growth of the women's game, I think, has been evident throughout this competition. And I think regardless of that result, I would like to believe that the future for that nation's women's team is very high and very bright. Um, Yeah, and France. France is like that. Again, I think if if you're not looking at them as well as potentially one of the favorites in this competition – probably not watching it all. Um, I would say their their quarterfinal match against Australia is definitely one to circle and one to spend some time watching because I think it's going to be great. And I've frozen, haven't I? Oh, man, I have frozen completely. Well, maybe you're listening. Oh boy. Maybe you're not. I may have to go over that entire rant again. Uh, here we go. We're back. Um. What a nine-month period for Moroccan soccer in general. Yeah. The men, first African team to ever make the semifinals, and now the women make the round of 16 in their World Cup debut. Shout out to North Africa. Um, yeah, I'll just quickly reiterate in case it gets cut off. Phenomenal, phenomenal for Morocco. The women's game is very bright there. 
and France, I think, is one of the favorites in their match yeah. against Australia. I think I is one that we should all be all be circling in the next round. Okay, let's preview the quarterfinals, shall we? We'll say actually, yeah, yeah we'll go preview quarterfinals. Uh, Spain versus Netherlands have not played each other at a World Cup, Olympics, or a Euros, which is really interesting, especially considering their men's teams played in the World Cup final in 2010. Um, for me, the Dutch strength is in the midfield, but without Danielle van de Donk and Spain having the level of individual talent that they do, I think that can get, I think it's going to get unlocked pretty quickly. I, I think Spain is going to win this one. Yeah, I think, I don't think this one's going to be very close. And I don't think this is any disrespect to the Netherlands, but it's one, I don't think it's a very good matchup for them. I don't, I don't, they haven't really played a team that has been as comfortable on the ball as Spain is and kind of holding possession and keeping the ball away from you. And not to mention the Dutch were missing a couple key players coming into the competition. And now they're missing arguably their best midfielder against a team whose strength is in their midfield. Um, I get Spain three nil. I think I think on paper this looks like a compelling matchup, but I think once once peeps get out there, like I'm gonna watch because it's actually at a time that we can watch at nine o'clock tomorrow night. Um, I don't I don't think it's gonna be very close. Yeah, I agree. Uh, Japan versus Sweden rematch of the 2011 semifinal that Japan won three to one on their way to the title. Uh, they had previously lost to Sweden in the group stage in 91 and 95 in shutouts. Um, I do not think Sweden has enough attacking talent to threaten Japan's defensive organization. Um, I also think like Miyazawa has been on fire for Japan. I bet she scores at some point. I mean, we talked about it in the recap. I, I think Japan are favorites. They're so organized. They have quality all around. Minata is another player that I think has been really good for them. June Endo, I will continue to beat the June Endo drum for Angel City. They're talented. Yeah, I think this is going to be a – I think we will get that Japan-Spain Japan, Spain rematch in the semis. So I agree, but I actually think this match is going to be a lot closer than we think. Um, I think Sweden's advantage is going to be on set pieces. So if they can, if they can capitalize on a corner or two – I know it's hard to capitalize on more than one corner, but I think even if they can sneak one goal in, I do believe that their back line is good enough to keep Japan off the score sheet more than once. Um, now, what happens in extra time or PKs is almost like throwing a dart at the wall. Um, I do think Japan's going to find a way to advance one way or another, but I actually think this match will be a little bit closer Um than I think it seems on paper. Like Sweden's the third ranked team in the world for a reason. They've got talented players. Um, I don't think they're playing as well as Japan, but I do think this will be a pretty good matchup. <laughs> and you're frozen yeah. again. I think all four of these matches. Hang on. Hang on. Hang on, Andy. Like we're at the point now where it's, it's quality. You got me? Nope. Hang on. Ladies and gentlemen, we're going to have to move back to the living room. Hang on. I'm going to lobby that you start in the living room next time. We we did great for a, almost an hour. All right. Go ahead. 
Um, I was saying that I think all all four of these quarterfinal matchups are really high quality. It's quality teams versus quality teams all the way throughout. I think they're going to be really entertaining. Like we're at the point in the World Cup where it's just nothing but bangers. Hopefully, yeah. Agreed. England versus Colombia uh, is a rematch of the 2015 group stage where England won two to one, but both teams did advance advance to the knockout stage in second and third, respectively. Talked about already significant upset potential here. No Lauren James, who's been by far their biggest attacking threat for England. Colombia has the youthful energy and skill. You got Linda Caicedo. England has not looked truly dominant outside of drubbing China, and that was mostly via James, who will not be in this match. Okay. I think this one's going to PKs. I think it's going to stay scoreless. Um, England's back line is very good. Um, but outside of that match against China, they also haven't scored very much either. They, In their other three matches, they've only scored twice. So against Nigeria, Haiti, and uh, Denmark, they've only scored twice. Right, Denmark was it? Yeah, Denmark. Yep. They've only scored twice. So I think this is going to be nil-nil. I think it's going to go to PKs. And rarely in any international competition do you see teams win back-to-back PK shootouts. It just it just doesn't happen very often. And in recent memory, since 2010, they weren't back-to-back. I don't know. They were in the quarters and the semis, I believe, of the 2018 World Cup. That's the only instance I've ever seen of that, to be honest with you. Um, and I think Colombia nips them on PKs. Just, I just think it's it's so hard to play that coin flip game in back-to-back matches and get away with it. Um, that's my prediction. Columbia, 5-3 on PKs. I, I mean, they're easily the, the most chaotic team left, and I always root for chaos in every situation, so I am all in on Columbia. Sounds great. Same. Uh, Australia-France, I think this is the blockbuster of the round. I mean, I think they're all going to be good, but this one I think is going to be – I mean, this is a heavyweight fight. These two have never played at a World Cup or Olympics, which is surprising to me for two, like, really quality teams. We, To me, France are the second favorites behind Japan right now. The way they looked at Morocco is so good. I was going to say, like, Diani has been a player that has really impressed me. She might be the best just all-around attacker, both in terms of her own ability to finish – but her ability to set up her teammates to finish as well. Like if, if I had to make like an all world cup 11 right now, like I think she has to be on that sheet. Um, mm-hmm. But Australia has the home field advantage. They are just stacking momentum right now. The On our like, because CONCACAF vibes meter, they're at like Weston McKinney raising canes in the trophy <laughs> vibes levels right now. Rasso Fowler Ford and now plus Kerr. <laughs> Like that, you have just a ton of options to choose from. I'm hoping for like a 4-3, like, I hope it's like Argentina and France at the men's final, where it's just like, we're just throwing haymakers the entire time. I think it has that uh, potential. I think if what I said could happen in that Columbia-England match happens, if you're France and Australia and you look at your path to the final being Columbia, no disrespect to Colombia. This could like, if you don't have to go through England, if you're France and Australia, like you have to be looking at this match as your opportunity to, to get to that final game and anything can happen in a final. And 
for both of these teams, it's like, this is our best chance to win a trophy. I mean, this is the best chance we've got. Um, and so I'm hopeful that, that the outcome of four, three, or just throwing haymakers and punches at each other is, is what happens. Um, France is, France has given up some goals in this competition. Um, in part, they gave up freaking three goals to Panama, um, in the final group stage match, they couldn't score against Jamaica. Um, and I think they showed some holes against Brazil as well. Um, I don't know, man. I think my analysis meter has gone through the floor. I think it'll be fun. I think it'll be great. I'm I, as, as a fan of chaos and vibes, I want Australia to win. Um, I just, <laughs> I, I want to see those stadiums like that as, as much as humanly possible. And um, I think the world deserves to watch Sam Kerr for more than 13 minutes in a, as a sub against Denmark. And the more Australia wins, the more we get to see her on the world stage. Worth noting that Japan is the only remaining team that has ever won a World Cup before. So we have like a pretty high likelihood of getting a first time winner, which would be really cool. Um, I think my only like just final thought is despite the just really, I think disappointment is the word. I'm not angry. I'm disappointed with the U.S., Despite that, it's a bittersweet moment because the rest of the World Cup has been a ton of fun. I mean, the quality has been so high. We've had great games, great players, having great moments. I mean, you and I have just been texting each other every day about some other crazy thing that's been happening. Um, yeah, you just you love to see it. You love to see the growth out of the game. Um, I've had a blast so far. I'm, I'm looking forward to these. These four matches are going to be lit. Well, I think this is always the the part that I find fascinating, maybe frustrating that I kind of am kind of at odds with in my brain when it comes to world cups is the group stage and the round of 16 provide a living crap ton of matches in a very short period of time. <laughs> and I think the chaos from that just comes from the pure volume of games, right? But as you get farther into the competition, there are less games, but you get to see the better teams more often and the games themselves are better. Um, and so I think this is probably the part of these competitions that I enjoy the most because this is when people like you and me like actually get to kind of dissect what actually happens on the field. I think this is when a lot of people at home, namely people like myself, like your ability to just rattle off names of these players is uber impressive to me, mainly because you do all the research and the looking ups. But like when I'm watching 900 group stage matches, like it's so hard for me to keep track of who the best players are at this stage of a competition, you get to see them. And you get to pay attention to them. Like we, we, it, whoever wins this competition, we'll get to watch them play three more times in basically consecutive days, which without many games in between. And I think that's going to be a ton of fun. I'm fascinated to see who ends up leaving with the golden ball because these are the matches where that happens. Right. Carly Lloyd won the golden ball in 2015 and she was a ghost in the group stage. <laughs> yeah. Right. But she scored a PK against Colombia. She scored the winner against China, scored the winner against 
freaking Germany and then scored a hat trick against Japan. She played her best ball. That that midfield goal that she scored like to cap off the hat trick, like that's like a top five moment. I think she just showed more effort. I think she just cared about the crest more. I'm not going to engage with that one. Um, (laughs) I I was thinking like, so we did like an all we did. We did a because CONCACAF like all gold cup 11. I almost want to do like, I'm thinking of like just the best players in this tournament. And I think it'd be a fun exercise to do at the end, but then I want to do just like a second, just all vibes team. Oh, because there's so many, like, especially when you get 32 teams, like you can't distill all of just like the awesomeness that has happened in this turn. You almost have to do like it's like a college conference where like oh the third team you know. There's just been so many fun players. Absolutely, and again, I think I think so far it's been a great showcase of the game, in terms of how far it's come and how deep it is. But I think I think the next week is going to hopefully show the world how much quality there actually is. Um, yeah. And even though all these games are at two in the morning, because there's fewer of them, it's going to give at least me an opportunity. I'm sure you the same to kind of really take a dive into these replays and watch them with time on our hands. Because when I'm watching replays in the in the group stage, it's like, all right, I'm just going to throw this on while I work at my desk and I'll do my best to pay even half or a quarter of a percent of attention to it. Um Whereas now I think you and I will both have some time to really unpack uh, each of these matches. And it's that's nice on the weekends too. Cause I can like shuffle my sleep schedule around. Like I watched all of Netherlands, South Africa. And then I went to bed, got like four and a half hours of sleep, watched all of USA, Sweden, and then tried to nap. take a nap, just like stewed in anger for an hour. Eventually like took a nap and then like started my day at noon. Yes. Yes. No. Agreed. Agreed. And the first match is tomorrow at nine, um, which I think will hopefully get us off to a really good start. So I'm excited. I think I think this is the even without the U.S. Um, I think World Cups are amazing. Um, it's a bit of a shame. Just the best. It's a bit of a shame that the Premier League also starts back up this weekend. Um, I hope that doesn't take some of the shine away from the Women's World Cup. Freaking um, seven thirty a.m. kick for Arsenal. Only on Peacock. Oh, the I had Peacock so I taken in, away. Yeah, you had it too, didn't you? And you just had it in, taken away because they figured it out. Yeah. When I lived in Delaware, I paid for Comcast. I might be the only like satisfied Comcast customer ever. I actually like thought it was a pretty good service. And like a part of it was a Peacock subscription. I'm like, oh, this is great. And when I moved out, the login just like kept working. Something like, Same. I'm not gonna, Saying, I'm not gonna, you know, fix a good thing here. And I think they finally figured it out. And they took it away. So I'm gonna have to. I'm so poor. I can't. I will be. I, I really can't I, afford like another subscription. But I'm not gonna not watch the. I Premier think. League, I so. think you and I are gonna need to go Habsies on one of those again because yeah. we already have Apple TV and Paramount. Yeah. <laughs> Isn't it nuts? You need a cable subs. If we want to watch every Arsenal game, we want to watch every single one. We need Peacock and a cable subscription to watch the Premier League. We need Paramount to watch the Champions League. And we need freaking ESPN Plus to watch the League Cup, the FA Cup, and as we were just crowned champions, the FA Community Shield. The most prestigious trophy in Europe. 
Like it's annoying because all the matches are available, which we didn't used to have when Fox Soccer Channel existed. But we like, are spoiled, like comparatively. Like I remember, like the the dark ages of like just trying to watch like DC United, all of forty miles from their stadium. I'm watching on like Telemundo because it's the only one that helped right. my Spanish early on too. Anyway, okay, we should probably stop rambling because we've been talking for over an hour as per usual. Any final thoughts before the quarters? I don't. I think this might have actually been our most concise episode ever, which well, is that's, not that's saying what, much. So it happens when the home team crashes out of the World Cup. But anyway, yeah. all right, everybody. No matter how you may be listening, where you may be listening from, thank you for making us part of your day. Maybe at some point we'll address the League's Cup. Maybe we'll just wait for the final. I feel like we have yet to talk about Lionel Messi, but hey, we're just two dudes trying our best to make a podcast. Maybe we'll do that at some point in time. Again, thank you for listening. No matter where, no matter how, thank you for making us part of your day. My name is Don Palumbo. For my esteemed and much smarter colleague, Andy Lohman, again, thank you for listening. We'll talk to y'all soon. See ya.